0: The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, August 2nd, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pascal. I Usually, don't start with the weather, don't cover a lot of the weather. Couple reasons. Um, you might live in different places. That's probably true. You live in the same place. But like, two different gist listeners could be on totally different sides of the country, world street. So weather's not that, not that relevant to you. Also, a lot of other people rely on the weather. And you know, if I get into the weather, then you're going to want me to get into traffic. It's a whole slippery slope. And by the way, it's slippery slope and tough going on the BQE, flash flood warning, mattress in the express lanes. Okay. Here, I want to talk about the weather. I want to talk about the weather in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Pasco. Not exactly sure where Pasco is. According to this map, it's kind of inland in the state of Washington. Could be getting up to 106. The Portland International Airport, always hotter at the airport, 105. Salem, I happen to know that's the capital of Oregon. That is 107 on Thursday. All these, Vancouver, not the one in Canada, the one in Washington. It's way up there. Touches Canada. Might get up to 106. Now, I was reading about this in the Seattle Times. And of course they have to have the obligatory sidebar and here it is tips for hot weather. Are you ready to have your mind blown? You're not you've never considered these tips. You ready? Drink plenty of water to stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. Avoid leaving children or pets unattended in cars. So like on 84-degree days, that's fine. Hmm. Uh, Also, I think they should note, if children and pets are unattended in a car, that doesn't count as them being attended by each other. Just no kids in the hot cars with the old windows up. Apply sunscreen if you are going to be outdoors. (laughs) Stay inside in air-conditioned areas if you are more susceptible to heat. So go where it's cooler. Stay out of the sun, because that is the big ball of hotness that is making it so uncomfortable, and try not to kill the kids or the pets. Now, here's what I found so, so fascinating about these tips for hot weather. You ready? It's been sourced. Source. National Weather Service. Yeah. We couldn't just figure this out by ourselves. We couldn't just watch every newscast that's ever existed since it's been hot. No. It's the experts, the so-called experts, at the National Weather Service. I just hope that this commitment to sourcing we find elsewhere, like, if you're feeling peckish, you might want something to eat. Source the James Beard Foundation. No wait, no wait. That was actually Chef Boyardee. Tips for a first date. Just be yourself. The National Association of Grandmas. Oh wait, breaking news, breaking news. We now have to retract that last tip. From the National Association of Grandmas, apparently it was stolen from the counsel of your husband who was watching the game and not really paying attention under tips for the upcoming job interview to quote, just be yourself, honey. Everybody likes you. It was not the grandmas who said it. It was your unattentive spouse. On the show today, a salute to the military in the spiel. All right. It's not quite 21 guns. It's maybe gun, gun and a half. But it does talk about the military as just about the only institution we have any faith in anymore. But first, drop those Xbox controllers. Put down those Wii sensor thingies. Have we got the most exciting video game of 2017 for you? No need to up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. Because we have got heart-stopping, chest-pounding action. Although if your heart stops, how did your chest pound? Just, just put a pin in that. As I tell you that the game is Walden. Yes, Walden. The bucolic lake where Henry David Thoreau documented plant species walk in his footsteps thrilled to the horticultural glory even jot in your notebook we're serious we talk about Walden the video game next Henry David Thoreau wrote, The laboring man has not leisure for a true integrity day by day. He cannot afford to sustain the manliest relations to men. His labor would be depreciated in the market. He has no time to be anything but a machine. Now, if that machine is a MacBook Pro with 256 gigs of flash storage and 16 gigs of RAM, we're in good shape because Henry David Thoreau inspired a lot, but now he's inspired a video game. Walden is the name of this video game, a first-person simulation. And guess who the first person is? It's Thoreau is out now. Tracy Fullerton of the USC Game Innovation Lab designed the game. So many questions, Tracy. Hello. How are you? Thanks for coming in. I'm good. How are you? So I'm, I'm well. I should say that I'm well. Um, I guess at first glance, people who don't know and don't play video games might think that what Thoreau was writing about and walled in Walden, the simplicity of life is entirely antithetical to everything they know about video games, but that's not really true necessarily, is it?
1: It's not true necessarily. I mean, it is true that most video games are extremely complex in terms of their technology and even their design and the kinds of experiences that they give us, but that is not necessary. We can use technology in other ways, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to use technology to slow people down.
0: And there are other games that are slow. I don't know if they're Walden slow, but <laughs> I don't know. Is there a slow video game movement, like the slow food movement?
1: I think that there is. I think that, you know, you're finding people who grew up with video games becoming creators and and seeking other aspects of life in in their video game experiences.
0: Yeah, it's like if this is your art form and this is how you see the world, it doesn't matter if it started with whatever, Space Invaders or Doom, it's eventually going to evolve in the hands of millions of people and millions of users who see the world in millions of different ways. It's going to evolve and you're going to have a broad spectrum of the craziest, flashiest games. And then on the other end, Walden. A
1: quiet game.
0: Yeah. So uh, describe what the gameplay is like. What goes on in Walden?
1: So you begin in the summer on July 4th in 1845 when Thoreau went down to the pond and it's a summer day and your cabin is half finished and you can start building it and finishing it. Or you can go out and forage berries and, or you can take a leisurely walk by the pond. And it's super easy to explore and uh, live life in the lovely days of summer in New England. But as the game goes on, of course, New England is not... Uh, So giving uh, a place uh, as you get into fall and, and winter and things become more challenging.
0: So how do you know if you're losing?
1: Well, the world will actually become dull and um, lose its color and its luster. We, we actually uh, modeled the look of the game after the Hudson River School of Painting, the sort of kind of lush romantic realism. And when you are inspired, when you, are, when you have your, your sort of basic needs of sustenance and your more ephemeral needs of, of sort of spiritual and, uh, spirituality and connection to nature balanced, the world becomes lush and filled with color. But if you're losing, that yeah. goes away.
0: Yeah, are there are there bars or there life forces? Can you take an arrow and start bleeding hit points or something? No, uh,
1: <laughs> so so that's all much uh, simpler than that. Yeah, uh, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> we really worked hard to um, minimize the interface elements to make it much more
0: experiential and immersive. And that is a that is a nod to throw.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly. If and Thoreau
0: played a video game, this might be the video game he played.
1: One would hope. Yeah. Do
0: you think he would?
1: I, I don't know that he would play, but I think, you know, he was an engineer. He was very, he had a, a real engineer's mind. He was an inventor. And I think that he'd be curious about how it worked and, yeah. and why we made it. And uh, I think he might respect the ideas behind the game.
0: Well, right. He, they are his. I, I don't know if he would or wouldn't, but was he a Luddite, really?
1: No, you know, as I mentioned, he was an inventor. Yeah. You know, he he actually um, applied for a patent on a better type of pencil. His father owned a pencil factory, you know, and he also um, was a contractor. He built lots of buildings. So he was, you know, he thought about how things fit together, how they worked and had a real engineer's mind.
0: In fact, even though... You know, the simplicity of Walden and going back to nature, he prefigured a lot of the uh, a lot of the trends today of trying to seek out mindfulness and seek out a space of calmness and, you know, why people pay a lot of money to go on, say, a yoga retreat or something like that. He was without. These concepts or these words or even knowing about yoga, he was doing that stuff at the time.
1: Or even the small house movement, right? I mean, this is a guy who built a tiny little house on the side of a pond just big enough for his needs, right? Yeah. So, yeah, he did. He, he prefigured a lot of the, the things that we are seeking right now.
0: What did you think of maybe putting in but then say, up, oh, we wouldn't have that because Thoreau didn't have that? Certain kinds of berries or nuts or people that he, that it might be cool to s- populate his world with, but it wasn't true to the book or the time.
1: Almost everything. I mean, so what's interesting is we actually recorded all of the birds and animals on site at Walden, but those are different than they, the, right. so their migration patterns are different. And we we checked with an expert to make sure that, say, oh, these cardinals didn't migrate to Walden Pond until after Thoreau was there. All the plants and animals that are in game come from his writings, so they're there because he wrote about them.
0: And you can, there are, there are examples of his text sort of hidden around, yes. like Easter eggs. Yes, so there's d- about
1: 20% of the book that y- is actually in the game uh-huh. uh, that you can find, and it fills your in-game journal
0: would you be able to replicate an experience that maybe Thoreau had that specifically inspired a passage in Walden
1: Yes, there are many th- that's what we call the arrowhead moments. Yeah. Um, and so there are these little artifacts scattered throughout the world where when you pick them up there's some of the special moments of Walden. Like when I was a kid, one of my favorite parts of the book is the ant battle. Mm-hmm. There he talks about these ants and this huge battle as if it was this this massive thing but of course it's taking place on like a chip of wood. And we have that in the
0: game. So you read it? Were you taken in by it? Did it change your life or attitude or Uh, relationship to counting berries.
1: Yeah, you know, my dad was an avid reader and wherever we would go on vacation, he would make us read the authors that came from that, uh, that region or books about that region. And so I was kind of, you know, given this as an assignment from dad. Oh, that's cool. Um, I, I actually fell in love with it. As I mentioned, you know, there's these little vignettes about the animals and, and just the idea of going down and building a cabin in the woods. So, you know, I got all my cousins together and like, oh, let's build a cabin in the woods. And we were all super excited by the adventure. Of it all. That's what attracted me as a kid. And then as I got older, rereading it, the different themes start to come out for you. Right. So, you know, you start to understand the activism and, you know, the sort of critique of society. Right. And then even as you get older, you
0: start to understand this question of balance in life. How do we spend our time? That's awesome. Um, okay, but at the time, right, during this period was when he uh, refused to pay taxes. Because yes. of war. So <laughs> what do you do for that?
1: Well, we actually get, send you a tax notice uh, <laughs> and with back taxes uh-huh. uh, because he actually had refused to pay taxes for quite some time. Sure. You, and, and he could have. He, he had all that pencil money, matter of principle. <laughs> he probably could have. He was not never rich, but he probably could have paid his taxes. He refused to, you know, on principle. And if you don't pay your taxes, you can actually go to jail in the game. Mm-hmm. W- when you're in jail, you'll actually find find a draft of civil disobedience, which was inspired by his time in jail. So you can get inspired by by reading that. And uh, you can leave jail pretty quickly, just like he did. He said he spent a night in jail. Uh, but uh, one of the options we left for players just for, for fun was you can stay in jail and protest for the rest of the game, uh-huh. should, should you wish to.
0: And the thing is, this isn't like a sim world or a sim city because you're not trying to build more or grow out. You're just trying to keep it to your house and there's Tend a sweet spot garden.
1: there's yeah. a sweet spot so you do want to have something so like for example emerson offers to lend him an axe which was oh, so
0: he's there yes and hobnob with emerson you can hob- you and hobnob gob- with, goblin of little mind y- y- coiner yeah.
1: you can you can um do errands for for him and do odd jobs in his house uh you have a relationship with. he's your mentor um it actually becomes strained at a certain point in the game which was true in real life as well
0: how does it reflect in the game
1: in the game it actually well, i don't want to give too much away but there's a, a common tragedy that occurs that um strains their relationship
0: that's fascinating now tell me a little bit first of all this game won the most meaningful game at meaningful play 2016 uh, take me inside the world of meaningful play what is that
1: well i mean so this is the notion and and i think it's it's a a when you think of it's pretty common sense call it's like play means something we play in order to make some meaning out of things we're playing with right and as we play with more sophisticated ideas we uh, have to build systems that support that that kind of thinking
0: But why is this game more meaningful than another game that might be, you know, uh, very popular? Why is it more? I know that it's more uh, genteel and calm and consciously provocative than a game like Grand Theft Auto. But for all the crassness of Grand Theft Auto, it's not like that's not meaningful or thoughtful there's a lot of thought in that
1: i completely agree the thing that we're talking about here is playing with different realms of human thought and human existence right so i played many many hours of grand theft auto and yes it's absolutely create there are meaningful things that happen to you in that game um whether or not it provokes you to think about your place in the universe and sort of um grow in, in in terms of how you approach life and the time you have here i don't know
0: yeah Well, I mean, I know that there's a special cheat code that Emerson shows up in that too. Oh, maybe, maybe.
1: I think that's Assassin's Creed, actually.
0: (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the uh, USC Game Innovation Lab. Mm -hmm.
1: So this is my research center, and our mission is- is, uh, You're in charge? uh, Yes. I'm I'm the director of the- How many many
0: people work there? uh,
1: About seven people work there. Nice. And um, we've been uh, in existence since 2004. We were one of the first uh, academic research labs to be founded, and we were founded with a, a grant from Electronic Arts. And our mission there is to really expand what games can be and what, where they can function in society, what kinds of things we can do with them.
0: So you have a grant from this uh, commercial company, one of the most successful video game makers. You got some grants from NEH, right? In, indeed, yes. Okay. Specifically for Walden, um,
1: NEA and NEH.
0: Is the idea that, or is the was there a question that this game could be uh, financially viable on its own, commercially successful?
1: I don't think that was ever... Our main reason to make the game. It's one of the reasons to have an experimental research lab, is to try things new and not be bound by that. Now, yeah. that said, of course, you know, we are offering it uh, to the market and it's, you know, uh, for a game about the row, I would say it's selling actually really, really <laughs> well. Compared which to is all other games about, about the row, it's the best seller, right? <laughs> okay, so it's doing uh, well. And as you mentioned, it won meaning a uh, most meaningful game. It also uh, just on Monday won a uh, game of the year from Games for Change. Um and most significant impact. So we have proved that people will respond and um be moved by a game like this.
0: Does a company like EA give you money as some version of philanthropy or charity? Or is it more they think that it's seed money? They think that something interesting can be developed that will eventually, you know, help their business?
1: I think that the goal is not a uh, one-to-one. We're not trying to yield a product in this case. What we're trying to yield is advancement to the industry as a whole and advancement to the ideas around games, the sort of cultural view of games. In terms of philanthropy, it's an attempt to change the culture around games.
0: If you were a thorough purist... Um, A Thoreau scholar, someone who wanted to base his or her life on the highest ideals of Thoreau. Would this game do it or violate it? Is this game something like a Tofurky, you know, (laughs) where where it pretends to be where because it wants to be vegetarian, but it wraps itself up in the uh, uh, vestiges of meat?
1: Well, we were really concerned about doing honor to to Thoreau and his legacy. And so we actually worked with quite a few Thoreau scholars. Everything has been vetted um, by various scholars of Thoreau. And we found them to be extraordinarily generous and interested in seeing Thoreau brought to a, a new kind of uh, medium and reaching young people specifically with Thoreau's ideas. Uh, where can people get the game? They can get it at waldengame.com.
0: All right. And what about... I'm thinking this game could work well in virtual reality.
1: We are working on that, indeed. Everyone, when they, you know, look at it, uh, they, they're they like, I want to walk in this world.
0: I want to be in this world. All right. Here's my next idea. Plato's Cave. Yeah, okay. Just, like, st- staring right at the cave, just not really moving for a while. I don't know. I don't know what kind of grand you'd need for that.
1: Uh, You know, it, it seems like it'd be pretty simple because we could have just a dark screen uh-huh. with some flickering light behind us.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Basically, when your uh, MacBook doesn't work, that is Plato's That game. is Plato's But K- it's up to you not to move. Indeed. Yeah. Tracy Fullerton is the head of the USC Game Innovation Lab and the designer of Walden. Thank you, Tracy. Absolutely.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: now the spiel the military is the most respected institution in america actually along with the police and just barely 56 percent of americans told gallup they trust the police along with the police the military is the only trusted institution in america so what gallup does is they list a bunch of institutions and they see how many people say they have quite a lot of confidence in them, or a great deal of confidence. And the last time they took this survey, military got 73%. Police, like I said, got 56%. And every other institution was below 50%. The church, medical system, presidency... Courts, public schools, banks, organized labor, criminal justice, television, news, newspapers, big business, and Congress. How could you? I mean, how could you even ask big business? That seems to just answer itself. Has anyone ever said, you know what I like? I like big business. I mean, personally, I like Western medicine, but I can't get on board with big business. It does seem like if there were a couple others in the category of institutions, people would find them reliable or trustworthy. Like, why didn't they ask about your coffee guy? Everyone likes their coffee guy, right? All right, black two sugars. Here you go. Light and sweet. Perfect. Have a great day. And that guy's great. Who doesn't like their coffee guy? Other institutions we could have asked about? Glenn Close and Jeremy Irons. I'm not saying they're the best actors, but when you put them in your movie, you know what you're getting. A classic Glenn Close, Jeremy Irons performance. They're like the coffee guy. Of actors. But the military is very trusted, and I have to say, deservedly so. You know, I always thought that if the military, if people in the military, didn't actually fight the wars and risk their lives and possibly die and definitely get shot at. But if what they were able to do, if their main skill was that they were able to run an eight minute mile and do 42 push ups, That alone would earn the respect of most Americans. It would put them in elite territory compared to most of their peers. If you give me a 19-year-old with a neat haircut, who speaks in a clear voice, who looks you in the eye, I mean, if you could get any millennial to do that, you have my respect. But still, I think we may have taken respect for the military not exactly too far, but too singularly there are other institutions perhaps we should respect. It seems that there's only one category of authority that Donald Trump respects. It's not scholars or civil servants or lawyers or ethicists. It's just the military. Sheriff General Flynn, he got bounced, but he only got as far as he did because of all those stars on his shoulders. Now you have McMaster, Kelly, Mattis. There are 11 stars among them, and they're three of the most consequential members of the Trump circle. In fact, given how Sessions has been denigrated, Tillerson's been mothballed, and Mnuchin has had his time, if not his mojo, reclaimed. Those three guys, those three generals, former, in the case of McMaster's current generals, are the most important members of the Trump inner circle who are not named Trump or married to a Trump, or in the case of Kellyanne Conway, have advanced training as a Trump whisperer. The love for the military extends to the legislative branch as well. There are a record low number of representatives and senators who are veterans, thus making actual military service at a premium. Amy McGrath is running for a congressional seat as a Democrat from Kentucky, and she has come out with what's been called the best political ad of 2017.
1: I'm Amy McGrath and I love our country. I spent 20 years as a U.S. Marine, flew 89 combat missions bombing Al Qaeda and the Taliban. I was the first woman Marine to fly in an F-18 in combat. And I got to land on aircraft carriers. Now I'm running for Congress against any bar in my home state of Kentucky.
0: The ad has few ideas, not one policy proposal. I mean, okay, it's a TV ad. But its power is entirely derived from associations with being in the military. The best ad of the last cycle was Jason Cander, who was running to be Missouri's senator against Republican incumbent Roy Blunt. I'm Jason Cander, and Senator Blunt has been attacking me on guns. Well, in the Army, I learned how to use and respect my rifle. Now, those sounds, those clicking sounds you hear in the background, that's Jason Kander assembling an AR-15 rifle while blindfolded. I approve this message because I'd like to see Senator Blunt do this. Kander lost by three points, but the ad helped elevate him to national prominence. He's now in a top position with the DNC. Kander, it should be said, he's an excellent politician. He was a state rep in Missouri, a secretary of state. He's a good talker. Amy McGrath, though, surely an accomplished pilot, had a hard time navigating some media invitations that were extended in the ad's wake. From the heights of a commercial to this interview on CNN, which brought her down to earth.
1: I I just want to answer. Is single payer better than Obamacare and would you raise taxes for it? I think health care is a right. Um, I believe single payer is. Well, I mean, with regards to Obamacare, here's what I would say. I do not think Obamacare is failing. I think it can be fixed, and let's try to fix it.
0: It seems that whenever Democrats get excited about a fresh-faced politician, chances are War Hero will be on his or her resume. Not always, see Kamala Harris, but it's such an assured path to prominence that you have to wonder why. Is it just that the military yields greatness? Does look good on the resume, but I don't think that's the only thing that's going on. I have a theory, and it's mostly about the military-civilian divide. It used to be that most everyone knew a veteran— or was a veteran, or lived with a veteran. There was a draft, there were wars, Just served. The military was serious and respected, but it wasn't exalted like it is today. It wasn't otherworldly, or this caste, this subculture, this almost mystical sect. I mean, there was plenty of humor poking fun at the military. McHale's Navy, and the wackiest ship in the army, and Gomer Pyle. Imagine Gomer Pyle today. It would be like insulting a guide dog. And especially for Democrats, the very fact of service is often used as an unstated counter argument to a perceived liability, that they're weak, that they won't protect us, that they're liberal. And while I'm sure that the military men and women who run for office have fine credentials and are, in fact, genuinely impressive, you know, there are a lot of other professions and backgrounds that should be equally valued but aren't. What about career service in the State Department? What about working with an NGO, especially one in really difficult positions? How about someone who did their service with Teach for America? Not nearly as impressive to voters. It's not a shorthand for competent, for take charge, but it should be. A lot of non-military service professions also allow for more creativity and less regimentation than the military does. Donald Trump, okay, bad example of organizational competence, but Donald Trump just picks a random CEO who's been places to head the State Department. He would never pick the equivalent guy to run the Pentagon. Our veneration of the military is fine until it comes at the expense of considering other backgrounds just as useful in public service. But I'm realistic, and I know none of those arguments compare to an ad with a rifle or a fighter jet to instantly convey that you have the right stuff. And that's it for today's show. Mary Wilson, just producer, is now going to work on her favorite video game, Haircut. It's based on Andy Warhol's experimental film of people getting haircuts. It allows the player to pick up scissors, to take a little off the sides, or to watch a movie of Andy Warhol's haircut. Just producer Chris Berube, he's the guiding force behind another video game, also called Haircut. Only it's not a video game. It's actually getting an actual haircut, but you click a mouse as it's going on. Steve Licktie, executive producer of Slate Podcast's favorite soothing video game is called Summer in Seattle. You chase ghosts around. There's a small wedge of cheddar cheese, only the whole thing's a hallucination because it's 104 degrees and you don't have any ventilation. The gist, my favorite video game? Well, that's a simple one, sir. It's a little thing called life. That's right. It's a video game based on the board game life. You know that big spinner in the middle? Imagine pressing Alt-S to make it go. Enough said. And now I'd like to tell you about another Fine Slate podcast, Mom and Dad are Fighting. The mom, the two dads, this week sit down with clinical psychologist Ava Siegler, who wrote a new book, How Do I Explain This to My Kids? Parenting in the Age of Trump. How do I explain this to me and you and everyone? Listen to Mom and Dad are Fighting, a Slate Parenting podcast. Um Peru do peru, and thanks for listening.